0: Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina.
1: Billions of people choose to let Satan steal from them and they reject what God desires to give to them.
0: What does it feel like to be on the battlefield? Perhaps some of you joining us today have served in our military. Some of you know firsthand what it's like to face the enemy in battle. Well, on the spiritual battlefield, we all face an enemy who wants to destroy us. And as you'll hear today, his strategy may
1: surprise you. The enemy's strategy for your defeat, in one word, is you. You are not your own worst enemy, but the enemy will use me against me.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're nearing the end of our series entitled Alone. We've been looking at biblical characters in the situations that they faced alone. Well today we come to the last character in our series and I can't think of a better one to finish with.
1: How do I live like this? How do I live a victorious life in the battles that I face, the enemy that I face? If we're going to do that then we best look at, you've probably heard of his name is Jesus.
0: Jesus faced Satan alone in the wilderness where the devil tried to tempt him to sin. The enemy Jesus faced is the same enemy we face today. And as Pastor Clay is going to explain in this week's message, the strategy that Satan uses isn't anything different.
1: The enemy's primary strategy for defeating you is you. He wants to use your flesh. He wants to use your pride and ego. He wants to use your desire for things. He is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy.
0: Next week, we're going to finish this series by looking at the strategy we need to employ to defeat our enemy. But let's start by understanding our enemy's strategy against us. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's very important message.
1: Have you guys ever heard the phrase, that guy? Is his own worst enemy. Or, or that lady is their own worst enemy. Maybe you even uttered it or, or spoken it. Maybe somebody's spoken it into your life. <laughs> that guy is his own worst enemy. Well, we're not. You're not your own worst enemy. Satan is. Satan is. As we'll talk about today, uh, Satan may work in our lives or use us in a way that, that makes us feel like we're our own worst enemy. But we're not. We really have another enemy. We really do. His name is Satan, the devil. It goes by several other names. He was originally Lucifer, an, an angel of light, an archangel, who fell because of his pride. But he is a real enemy, and he is... In, in the sovereign plan of God, he is still loose in this world and he is still working and he is still operating. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? The enemy, the thief in this context... Referring to Satan, the devil, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to to steal your joy, to to destroy your family, to kill your hope and purpose and promises for life. Now some of you might be sitting there thinking, geez, Clay, aren't you being a little over dramatic? You, but you're you're probably right, me and Jesus are probably blowing this whole enemy thing way out of proportion it, it is it is It strikes me as ironic that Satan comes only to kill, steal, and destroy your life, and Jesus came to give you life and, and that 's not even the ironic part the The irony is that billions of people choose to Let Satan steal from them and they reject what God desires to give to them. I find that ironic. Perhaps you are familiar with Peter's warning about the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5. Stay alert. Watch out for your, what's that next word? Great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a... Roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. Stay alert. Watch out. But of course we don't, do we? We don't stay alert. We don't watch out. And I'll prove it to you. How many people do you think within this room, within the last, say, week, have thought about the devil even one time? Probably not many, might be a few, probably not many because because we 've got life to live we 've got things to do we 've got stuff to do, and we're not we 're not thinking, but you know what I, I, I was I was thinking about this when I was walking through and preparing this this message, and i I was thinking i 'll bet some of us have been uh, to the continent of Africa, some of us were born grew up on the continent of Africa, <laughs> but i 'll bet if If you were dropped off on the Serengeti Plain, on the continent of Africa, and you heard a lion's roar, I'll bet you'd be alert. I'll bet you'd be... I'll bet you wouldn't sleep much that night. Uh, Somebody might say, well, does the devil roar? You better believe it. Every time a husband and wife scream at each other until somebody packs their bags and goes out the door... He roars. Every time a teenager is coerced or, or, or pushed into trying an addictive drug for the first time or to be sexually active for the first time, he roars. Every time the priority of your life come, becomes the, the stuff of this life, the stuff of this world, good, bad, in between, Every every time that becomes the focus and the emphasis of your life, he roars. Every time a person rejects the gospel of Jesus Christ, he roars. Every time he roars. And he is real. I have been reading uh, Thomas Akempis' famous 15th century work, The Imitation of Christ. And I posted this from that book uh, Thursday on my Facebook page. The devil takes no sleep. And the flesh is not dead yet, so don't stop getting trimmed for the fight. You have enemies to the left and right of you, and they're always on the watch. They're always alert to opportunities to pounce. Are we alert to what's going on in our lives and the attacks that may come into our lives? Uh, in, uh, I want to ask you a question uh, as we're getting started uh, this morning. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul just makes this bold, brash declaration. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, he says this. He says, but in all these things... And if you go back and read the context Romans 8, he's listing all this stuff that, that, that can't separate us from the love of Christ. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly... What's that next word? Say it again, please. In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer... Through him who loved us. Through all these things. through all, But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've come to the place where you've accepted him, recognized your own sinfulness, your need for a savior, uh, accepted his sacrifice on the cross as the only forgiveness and, or redemption for your forgiveness, uh, your adoption into the family of God, if you have if you have made that choice, that decision in your life, you are a conqueror in Christ. My question is this. Do you live like a conqueror? That is the question. Do you live like a conqueror? In other words, if you are part of the family of God, you are a conqueror. Because he is a conqueror. Because Jesus Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. I know you've probably heard this a million times, but because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, because he is a conqueror, you are a conqueror. Praise God, hallelujah, jump a pew. But do you live like a conqueror? Do you live like a conqueror? Do you live a victorious life? That's, that's the question that I want to ask you. This morning, if we are in a battle, if we are in a a war, a spiritual war, then we better figure out how do I how do I prepare for this? How do I defend myself against this attack that is coming into my life? How do I how do I live like a conqueror in my life? Because because if if this life is just about well, you know, I just gotta struggle through. I just gotta do the best I I can. I I just, whatever, but, but I get to go to heaven someday. I, I'm just wondering, if, if that's how you i just wonder if you're going to even know how to act when you get to heaven. Because there ought to be some victory right now, right here, today, in this life. That's what we're saying. All right, so if we're going to learn about conquer, if we learn how to learn how do I live like this, how do I live like conquer, how do I live a victorious life in the battles that I face, the enemy that I face, if we're going to do that, then we best look at the best guy to look at for that. Uh, you've probably heard of him. His name is Jesus. Matthew chapter four. We're going to begin this morning in verse one. I'm going to read it and then make kind of an overarching statement. Then we're going to work work through these three things. Now, listen. Uh, lift it off these pages. All right. I'm going to read it. It's it's it's, it's quick and alive. It's sharpening two-edged sword. It's it's absolutely right. But lift it off of these pages and think about the particular events in your life, your relationship, your work situation, your your struggle with your children, your your financial issues, your, whatever's going on in your life, think about this in, in the sense of, is the enemy attacking? How is he attacking? How do I get victory? In my, how do I live like this conqueror that I know that I am positionally because of what Christ has done? Now, how do I live it practically in my life? Matthew chapter 4, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse 1, go through verse 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him into the holy city had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you If you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Here we go. Here's overarching idea that we're talking about. The enemy's strategy for your defeat, in one word, You. In one word, it's you. Now, uh, as I, I think I alluded to a moment ago, uh, the enemy, uh, Satan, has been around a long time. Now, he hasn't been around forever. He's not God. He's not been around uh, forever. He was created uh, originally as an angel. But he has been around a long time. And he knows humankind. He knows. He knows Our sin nature—he knows what draws attention. He knows what what draws people away from where we ought to be in our life. He knows how to bring temptation that will cause us to move in a direction contrary to what God has for our life. He knows, and as he comes to, as we come to this account in in Matthew chapter four, it's recorded in Luke chapter four, also, by the way, but Matthew chapter four we find this account of uh, Jesus uh, in the wilderness and Satan coming to him and bringing some uh, very specified uh, temptations into his life. They are, in a sense, spiritual weapons that he uses uh, to bring against people in their lives. And I want to walk through uh, those this morning and, and talk some about them. But we start with this idea, the enemy's strategy for your defeat, in one word is you. I said at the beginning, I may say it again at the end, uh, you are not your own worst enemy, but the enemy will use me against me. Let's see if we can explain what I mean by that. Let's start with this this first one. There is what I call, what I'm referring to as the satisfaction of flesh. It's the first kind of weapon or one of the weapons. By the way, I don't know if I don't know if you could say that this is an exhaustive list of of what all, but but I think you'll find that most every work or temptation that comes into your life is going to come into one of these areas of your life. This is the satisfaction of flesh. In verse uh, 2 and 3, again, he says, And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones... Become bread. Um, Jesus has gone into the wilderness for a time of spiritual preparation. Something that we'll talk more about next week. But he's gone into the wilderness for a time of spiritual preparation. Part of that preparation included a fast of 40 days. Where he did not eat any food for 40 days. As you can imagine, if you fast for 40 days, at the end of that time, you're hungry. By the way, when Matthew says uh, there in verse 2 that... Uh, at the end of the 40 days, he then became hungry. He's not saying that Jesus wasn't hungry at day 5 or day 25 or day 33. What he's saying is, is that when he came to the end of his fast, uh, of that time, he obviously, naturally, of course, was hungry. And then the enemy came and brought this attack against him. One of the things that uh, we need to remember about Jesus... Is that he was a man. He was. We often refer uh, to him as, as the son of God. We all say, often say well, he, he was God. And obviously that's absolutely correct. But he was also a man. He was the God man. Now I know it's impossible in our finite minds to figure out exactly how that works. But the point that I'm making is, is that he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it, it felt like to be tired. He knew what and experienced pain in his life. He was a man. And at the end of the 40 days, throughout the 40, sure, he's hungry. And he needs to eat. And Satan comes to him. He says, well, if you are the son of God, or since you are the son of God, can, could possibly translate it. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread and and just eat? Now, let's just, let's just, Cut to the chase. He is the son of God. He can turn stones into bread. That's not a problem for him. He is hungry and he will need to eat physically. The problem comes in with the fact that what Satan is attempting to do is to turn Jesus' focus away from the spiritual and to the natural. To the fleshly to distract him. Remember why he went out there to distract him from the priority and to and to focus more on meeting my own fleshly needs. I think I meant to say this earlier and, and I forgot. But but the enemy's uh, strategy, his 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 strategic goal is always the same. I think I put something on the screen. Enemy's strategic goal is always the same. It is to take your focus off of God. It is to take you, figuratively speaking, it is to take you from here. To hear this, my life, the world, all that's happening. The the, the car broke down. The 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 bills aren't paid. Uh, my husband's being a north end of a southbound mule. He's he's not you know all the stuff right. That's his goal. That's his goal to 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 go from here. If I if I'm living in this place where God, my focus is on you. I mean, I've got my stuff to do, right? I got to go to work. I gotta I gotta do this I gotta what, uh, it's doing that stuff but it's living in the spiritual reality where where I'm where I'm focused on him Satan wants to change that he wants to focus it on here on, on this on what I need and, and, and how I'm you understand that's the problem it's moving from the spiritual to the flesh that's now listen here it is you can take virtually any physical fleshly material need want, desire that you have, and you have them, right? We have them. You can take virtually any one of them and you can see how Satan can take them and distort them and, and use them to turn you away from your focus on God. Uh, for instance, we, we all get tired, right? You need rest. You need, to, you need to sleep. Satan can distort that, can actually distort that so that we become... Uh, we we can become lazy or indifferent or whatever, or I, I just I can't I can't do it. I'm I'm just too exhausted. He can he can do that in the area of most of us have uh, a, a fleshly a material desire for uh, physical sexual and emotional uh, intimacy and connectedness. That's a God given thing. That's it's not, not not a bad thing. It's it's a good thing. But Satan takes that and he distorts it and has used it to distort it and, and to, to convince millions to, to, to take this very powerful thing, that, that physical intimacy and emotional interconnectedness, to take this very powerful thing and to use it outside of the boundaries for which God created it. To be used within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman. It's a physical desire or need or that you have and Satan takes it and he distorts it. He says, oh, essentially what he did with you, it's, you know, you, you, it's, it's your body, you feel it, you, you should, you should, right? One of the more disturbing survey records that I have seen in the last 10 years showed that a majority, a majority of uh, millennial age people identifying themselves as Christian. Okay, so we're not talking about just all millennials. You know, A majority of millennials identifying themselves as Christians believe that physical intimacy, connectedness, sex, what, what, whatever you want to feel comfortable saying, uh, that, that ought to be practiced by any person, anywhere, with any person, in, in any way, uh, without any restraints or confines whatsoever because and here here 's the motivation for it, because we all need love, right we all need love it 's a physical fleshly we do we all need love and and so we we have the right to experience that in, in, in however we choose because it's, it's, it's our it 's our right to do so. You 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 deserve it. That's that's the mantra of the culture in which we live. It's you deserve it. That is essentially what Satan said to Jesus. Hey, son of God. You hadn't had anything in forty days, you're hungry. These rocks, they, they, they you you can make them into bread and, and you can you can eat it. And he certainly could, but that wasn't the point. The point was that he's turning him away from the spiritual. He's trying to turn him to a focus on me, on the flesh, on whatever. So you think about that in terms of your life and where you are in your life and, and how, how the enemy can use your flesh against you in, in contrast to whatever God says about a particular subject in his word. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's this, the flesh. Okay. Uh, here's another one, distortion of false theology. The distortion of false theology is what I'm calling it. Verse 5 and 6. Uh, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, I know this is... Uh, a, a this is a serious matter spiritual warfare is a serious matter, and so I, I shouldn't be uh making light of it, but I just got to tell you it, it just it just strikes me as funny that uh, Satan is going to try and use the Word of God against the word of god he, he's he's going to try and explain the book to the author in in Uh, John chapter 1 verse 1 and verse 14 you guys know you've read this before in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld we saw his glory glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth but Satan is going to try and use the word of God against the word of God (laughs) that just strikes me as funny now, he's going to fail miserably, but I'm afraid he has run up the score on billions of people in this area, in this area of, of false theology, this, this false notion of, of who God is. Satan quotes from uh, Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. By the way, I guess I should stop and say this at this point. Satan quotes from Psalm 91, right? I'll get back to Psalm 91, but... I was thinking about when I was working on this. This says something. Satan knows the word of God. Is it convicting to anybody else that the enemy of God may know the word of God more than the children of God? There is something that is just not right about that. But we'll have to leave that one there. Satan quotes from Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. More properly, he misquotes Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12. Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12 uh, actually says this, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. This partly leaves out here in all your ways, in all your ways does not mean, and we know this would be true, it's, it's Proven over and over again in the Word of God, in all your ways would not mean in anything you want to do, anywhere you want to do it, however you want to do it. That 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 you don't worry about it. Whatever you do, God's got you, and He's going to protect you. No, that's that's not what the text means. I believe Satan intentionally leaves that little phrase out. I really believe it's not bad. Again, intentionally leaves that little phrase out because, and here's why: because Jesus had. The Messiah had his ways. He had his way. His way was the cross. He was going to the cross. And Satan, in essence, is by taking him up to the pinnacle of the temple, which would have been surrounded by thousands and thousands of people. And by misusing this text and saying, "Listen, if you jump off, you what know, you know his word says, or you know what your word says? Your, your word says, if you jump off." Your angels are going to catch you, and man, isn't that going to be spectacular? All those people are going to see that, and and they're, they're going to. You know, what he's. Saying? Do you understand what he's doing? Do you understand what he's saying? What he's doing here? He's saying, Jesus, you can be king without having to be the suffering servant. Jesus, you can you can be the king without going the way of the cross. That's essentially what he's trying to sell him on this idea. He's trying to 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 misuse the word of God to tempt Jesus into. Into going a way that wasn't the way. Jesus had said it from the beginning. He'd been saying it all throughout his ministry. God had declared it throughout his word that he was going to send his son to be the, the payment, the sacrifice for our sins. Oh, yeah, oh, listen, you can just bypass all of that stuff. Come on, just, just leap on off. You, you know what your word says? It, your angels are going to catch you and, and then you'll be famous and, and then everybody will recognize you as, as the Messiah. Now listen next week we're going to get we 're going to get to jesus response in each one of these, and how we apply them. but do you understand this is what he does. Theology is basically what we think or know about god that 's essentially what theology is, and Satan has been distorting what you and I know or think about God from the beginning. He distorted Adam and Eve. Do you remember back in the garden he distorted adam and eve 's view of God and convinced them that God was some kind of Egomaniac tyrant that didn't want to share his his power and his glory with with anybody else. That's essentially what he what he convinced Adam and Eve of. He has convinced billions of people that God wants you to work for your salvation. Go earn it. Climb enough steps on your knees, or 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 count enough rosary beads, or or give enough money, or make enough pilgrimages, or. Uh, on and on and on. Billions have bought into this lie. He has convinced far too many people that God, God doesn't even care about you. Look, look, look this happened in your life? Yeah, they talk about a God of love? No, he's not. A, look, how could he? Distorting? The view. that's what he does. That's who he is. Lying. Distorting the view that we have of God. So that we begin to doubt or or not be sure or wonder or question. Is, is God there? Is God working? Is he is a master at this, this distortion of theology. So, we'll get, like I said, we'll get next week to how we respond to that. But you can probably get a pretty good idea right now that, that if I know God, if I know who He is, if I, if I get into His Word and I know His Word, then, then I recognize when something comes at me that's not a reality about who God is. Okay, real quickly, one more idea uh, this morning. And it is what I call attraction of possessions. Verse 8 and 9. Y'all all all right? Verse 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. By the way, um, I mentioned this, I think I mentioned earlier that this account is also in Luke chapter 4. It's in Matthew four and it's in Luke chapter four, if you read Luke's account, you will, you should perceive a supposed discrepancy, a, a conflict, a contradiction in the word of God that that people have tried to use ridiculously. That's my own opinion, but that's a, anyway. Anyway, uh, in Luke's account, the uh, the temptation we just looked at, where Satan takes Jesus up to the, the pinnacle of the temple. And this one here where he takes him to a high mountain and shows him the kingdoms of the world. In Luke's account, they're reversed. Luke lists going to go a high mountain first and then the pinnacle. So some critics have said, there you go, see right there? That's an obvious error in the word of God. <laughs> no, not. And any elementary study of Greek grammar would tell you that. You see, Matthew Uh, uses uh, the Greek word palin, which is properly translated uh, then or again, when he moves from one temptation to the next. Luke uses the Greek word chi, which means and, which does not necessarily denote a chronological order. Matthew's may, then or again, could possibly be a chronological order. Don't know for sure, but it could be a chronological order. Luke uses and, and and is not necessarily a chronological order. It's the difference between like for instance, let's say if you, asked, if you asked me and Cindy what we're going to do on vacation. If you ask me what we're going to do on vacation, I would say something like, uh, we're going to hang out at the pool and we're going to play golf and we're going to do some shopping and we're going to uh, go to this restaurant that we heard about and we're going to play some golf and uh, we're going to... Right? If you ask Cindy what we're going to do on our vacation, she's going to say... On Monday morning at 10 a.m., we will have breakfast. Then we will proceed to the mall. At 12.07, we will have lunch. Then we will go hang out at the pool until, until, about, until 6 o'clock. Then we will go to a restaurant that we made a reservation for. Then on Tuesday, do you see? You see now, I'm, I'm, I'm being funny. Cindy's not that about. She's much better than she used to be. She's okay now with just like hanging out, hanging out. She's, she's she's out of, she's out of town right now. So I say, I hope she's not watching on Facebook right now, on Facebook Live. But because no, she's not, she's not that way. I mean, she's she relaxes. But you see what I'm saying? There, there is no there's no contradiction in the Word of God. There, there's not. So anyway, back to the temptation. So uh, real quickly, uh, Satan takes him up to a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, "Listen, Jesus, all this is yours. You can have it all." It's this attraction of possessions. Attraction of possessions. Not necessarily, and I want to emphasize this, not necessarily wealth. We might tend to think of that as the same, but not necessarily wealth. Now, in Jesus' case, it was. Man, all the wealth, all the power of all the kingdoms of all the world, you could have it all, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. By the way, that would have been a bargain for Satan if he could have gotten Jesus to bow down and worship him. But the fact is the majority of people in the world are never going to be wealthy. Now, I know that's a relative term, but the majority of people in the world, including, I would say, the majority of people in this room, are just trying to make a living, just trying to live life every day, just trying to to live a life. But the one thing that we all have in common, rich, poor, or anywhere in between, the one thing that we all have in common is the attraction of more. That wherever I am or whatever I have, this desire to have a, something more a, a, a little bit bigger house Or a little more provision Or a little more security in my checking account Or a, a, a little nicer car to drive Or, or a few more toys it, it is, it's, it's the attraction of possessions That he uses Now again, he fails miserably with Jesus But he gets us, man He gets us on this one This pull of because remember, remember, what's his strategy? We talk about what's his strategy from here to here. And and I don't know anything that pulls me down faster to, to this to this plane than the pull of possessions to have this. Or if I just make that, or if I just do that, or if I just do this. Some of y'all know this, uh, but it's uh, been a while, since so I've talked about it. Years ago, I, I played tennis. It made me think, of, I was thinking of it this morning. I played tennis. I was thinking about it this morning because Travis texted me early and Said uh, Federer just won the Australian Open in five sets, and I hadn't watched any of it. But I used to be a, a tennis player. I used to be a, a tennis player who was pretty good, and I was attempting to get a state ranking in Florida, I was trying to get in the top ten in the state of Florida uh, in tennis, uh, in amateur uh, tennis, United States Tennis Association. Anyway, I had come to Christ in my life. I, I was I was in church. I was attending church and. Uh, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, you know, almost always there unless I was at a tournament, playing a tournament. You understand what I'm saying? And I, and I know I've said this before. Tennis is not bad. Having goals is not bad. But I, I spent three to four hours a day, five to six days a week on the tennis court. Drilling, running drills, going to tournaments. I was doing that. I was reading tennis magazines or watching tennis matches or whatever else it was. What is Satan attempting to do? He's trying to get Jesus to, to fail at the very first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Jesus, you can have it all. You just you just bow down and worship me. Now, nobody in here would say, would 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 admit, or nobody in here probably is a devil worshiper. Okay? You wouldn't say, Well, I I have never uh Gone to one of them meetings and bowed down and worshipped the devil. I don't know. They have devil meetings? I don't know. I've never, I've never bowed down and worshipped the devil. But do you understand? Satan doesn't care how we fail. As long as we fail. That's all he cares. So, so in, there's a sense in which tennis became my God. Because that was my focus. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. And, and, and I was growing in his word. I've learned something about it. But, but that's where my, most of my focus was. I mean it really was it's, so it's coming to the recognition that that anything any possession any any accolade any achievement anything that that takes priority over my relationship with god is wrong it is it's just wrong some of you teenagers in here that within graduating in the next year or two and you're thinking about school or college uh, you're thinking about military you thinking about work employment whatever that that came be, all that kind of stuff and lots of stuff will get thrown at you lots of opportunities to do lots of different things and, and if you're not careful it will pull you from here to here and like oh what am I going to do in life or, or how am I going to get this or boy, well, I bet I could get this job or, or I, I could I could make six figures if I went into this field or if I could whatever hey hey stop stop God What do you want for my life? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to live in a way that will honor you? That's the difference. It's the attraction of possessions. Now, one more time. We will next week get to how Jesus responds. Intentionally, stayed away from the verses where Jesus responds. Then we'll look at those next week and how we respond. But it begins by understanding that the enemy's uh, primary strategy for defeating you is you. He wants to use your flesh. He wants to, 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 to use your pride and ego. He wants to use your desire for things. In, um, in uh, I think it's First John chapter 2, uh, John says this, For everything that is in the world does not come from the Father. Uh, the desires of our flesh and the things our eyes see and want and the pride of this life come from the world. The satanic influence of the world. If you think about it, all three temptations that came to Jesus fall under those categories. Like I said at the beginning, I'm not saying that this is an exhaustive list of how uh, he might come at you, but if you think about it, that's exactly what he did with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you know, you're hungry and, and, and this, you can, this bread can be right here in a second. It'll be piping hot and you can eat it. And let me tell you something. Any of you that have ever fasted for an extended period of time, uh, you become very Aware of smells and sights, and dreaming of a cinnamon bun or something like, something like. and and so you you can see it's it's a, oh oh Jesus eat flesh, flesh that's what I And and the things our eyes see, Jesus look up, look look all of this, all of this you can have it, it's all yours. You just got to bow down, worship it. It's all just, but all of it, all of it's yours. And the pride of this life, Jesus. Look at you. Get up on the temple. Jump off there. Angel's going to catch you. That's going to be spectacular. Everybody's going to say, holy smokes, the Messiah's here. If you think about it, it's the exact same way that he tempted Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, the fle- oh, it's just gonna, it just looks like it's going to taste good. Y'all ever seen stuff that you just look at and you say, I, I know that's going to taste good. My wife's strawberry rhubarb pie, when I look at it, I just know it's going to taste good. Just, just in case. Just in case. Uh, pleasing to the eye. Oh, this, Oh man, that, looks, yeah, that tree looks good. I, God said stay away from that tree, but man, that fruit looks good. That's, 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 it's beautiful. And desirable for gaining wisdom. Pride, ego. Look, it's going to make you like God. Isn't it the exact same thing? You understand what I'm saying? I'm done. Here's what I'm saying. Satan's tactics in thousands of years have gone virtually unchanged. And the reason is they don't have to. We're still falling for the same stuff. He's still attracting our flesh. He's still attracting us to possessions. He's still, he's still reaching into our, our pride and our ego. And he's saying, hey, come over here, do this, try that. You're going to like it. He is real. He is there. He is working. He is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy next week the answers but let me leave you with an encouraging word Uh, first john uh, chapter 4 you are from god little children and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world you are a conqueror you can live like a conqueror are you ready
0: Well, as Pastor Clay just shared with us, Satan's strategy hasn't changed much since the beginning. He wants to use us, our flesh, our desires and wants, our pride. He wants to use it to turn us away from our God. Satan didn't have any luck with Jesus, but unfortunately, he's having a lot of success with many men and women today. Next week, we'll look at our strategy for defeating our enemy. But as Pastor Clay explained in today's message, a good place for us to start is to recognize our enemy's strategy against us. Doing battle can be hard, and sometimes it can feel like we're losing the battle. But remember, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.
1: getting
0: online for another crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org
1: I'm not the water I'm not the bread But I know
0: Church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.